Hello everyone, this is Read, Watch, Play. I'm Cleo. I'm James. And I'm Justin. And on this episode, we'll be talking about Armada by Ernest Cline. Um, so Ernest Cline is also, this is his second book. He wrote Ready Player One before, uh, which is going to be turned into a movie, just as Armada will also be turned into a movie shortly. Is there already a deal for that? Yes, there is. I was going to say, it's probably like a foregone conclusion, but yeah, I hadn't actually heard that. That's that is what Wikipedia says, at least. Oh. Um, so Armada is about a teenage boy named Zach Lightman, and he's obsessed with everything kind of 80s, pretty much video games, movies, all sorts of sci-fi stuff, um, because his father passed away when he was still a baby, and he had all this, like a collection of 80s paraphernalia in the attic, and he just gets obsessed with it. And through the power of video games, God, I don't even know how to like describe. I'm trying to find a way to describe this book without making it sound stupid. Um, I don't think you can. Okay, I, I, let me. I can. I can do this. I can. I can do. First off, James, you have the book in your hand. There's probably a summary on one of the sleeves that maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Lightman has spent his life. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't glorify. Okay, I'm not going okay, to okay. dignify right, it. All right, fine, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll try to describe it. So it, it, Zach Lightman is this teenager. Uh, his dad died when he was a little kid. He has this all this 80s paraphernalia with a huge gaming and sci-fi focus. And he's sort of obsessed with it. And he gets absorbed in that culture and becomes a big gamer. And he is like the premise of the book is that he's sitting in class one day. And he sees the ship from this like big online like multiplayer sci-fi shooter that everybody plays and he thinks that he's hallucinating and then it turns out he's not hallucinating and that the aliens from the game are real and they're actually coming to attack earth and he gets enlisted by a like secret military force that's been preparing for this for however long and that's that's the gist of the book but now see here's kind of the confusing thing though cuz if if you heard that and then didn't read the inside cover of the book and started to read the book you'd think that we'd spoiled like a huge section of this because it takes literally until the middle of the book to get through that inside front cover. Yep. The beginning is so long, unnecessarily long also. There it's divided into three sections or phases, right? Yeah. I, I think it's so. called phases. Uh and the first one is just hammering in that he's obsessed with these games well armada this game he's one of the he's like the top six player in the world yeah something like that and (sighs) the thing for me is that what what the beginning really does and this is why like this book is so painful for me because i love ready player one i really did i enjoyed it a lot but i we should talk more about ready player one we can we can have that part of the podcast later but um I and honestly, this this has sort of tainted my love of Ready Player One, to be honest. But I I think that's absolutely a fair response to reading this book. I haven't um, read it yet. But the the beginning of this book is just like an excuse for Klein to just dump references to like anybody who has like watched classic sci-fi or read sci-fi novels or played these games. It's like the whole begin the whole first third of the book when all this stuff is happening is him just like nudging you, be like, hey, eh, did you get that reference? It's but like on every page. He's not even that fucking subtle because in Ready Player One, he would make these references and you would have to know what he was referencing. 
Yeah. And I feel like he wanted to distance himself from that even further. And so in this, he'd be like, hey, look, it's like this shit. It, it's a, and he had a viper from hanging from his ceiling. But instead of like, he had a viper hanging from his ceiling, it's like he had a viper, the classic fighter drone from Battlestar Galactica hanging from his ceiling. And it's just like, he needed to make it so that these references could be understood by people who wouldn't understand them already, which is totally self-defeating. Absolutely. And not only that, but there's just a million more of them. Like it's it's four and five times a page that he's making yeah. some kind of reference like this and, for yeah. this whole portion of the book. And at the same time, even though he is trying to make it kind of more accessible in a way, having all those references in the first place is going to already make it kind of it makes it feel like oh, this is the insider's glove. Like if you understand these jokes, you're on the same level as I am, and you should be proud. And yeah, that's the thing. It's like yeah, it's so full of these references that the only people who this kind of book is going to appeal to is the people who are going to understand most of those references. And as somebody who wouldn't have understood them all, I would much rather have had to look into them myself than be told in the book the way it was done. Absolutely, and that's I mean that's one of the big things that it jumped out to me so fast. Like it's one of the first notes that I took about this is just it he really tries to have it both ways with that right like to use these references to somehow illuminate the plot until you realize that he uses them in lieu of plot um but for a lot of it seems like you know before well you're still giving the book the benefit of the doubt you feel like he's trying to use them to illuminate the plot and give you a sense of what's going on by kind of couching it in other media and so you understand why he feels this need to explain those but then there's, it's like you said, there's so many of them, and they're not just there to illuminate the plot. But then he explains all of the just kind of tossed-in ones as well. So you spend so much time just reading explanations for things that don't really help. And it'd be one thing if it was like a fun Easter egg, you know, it was not relevant to, like, you know, the story. And it's just like, oh, yeah, it's this thing that you know if you've seen Starship Troopers or something like that. Right, you know, this character had a love for this obscure thing and I'm going to describe it because it's like a cute nod to something. Like, that would be one thing. Right, and it just feels like kind of like a fun thing in the background, like an Easter egg for you to find, but it doesn't end up being that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it... I mean, I guess we've we've gotten to this a bit, but we can come out and say, did anyone enjoy this at all? Not even a little. No, I mean I like I listened to the narr- uh, the audiobook and I like Will Wheaton as a narrator, but even that nothing could redeem this for me. And I I mean I went into this hoping not to hate it. I went into this very hopeful, to be honest. I I got my hands on an advance copy um, via some friends who who nabbed it at a convention, and I. I came into it like before the reviews had hit and I was kind of fresh faced and I really just like came out of this as a fan of Ready Player One and and started reading this and just immediately was just unsatisfied. Yeah, it I remember the first time I like heard the basis for the plot and I remember being excited that Ernest Klein was writing another book because I had enjoyed Ready Player One. I also enjoy that one less now looking back and I think it is a mix of Armada's kind of tainted that for me, but also, um, I think just some other things that I hadn't really thought about when I read Ready Player One, and I think some of those aren't Ready Player One's fault. I think some of it's the way people treat Ready Player One, which has gone back and made me frustrated, because one thing that is, that you see in Ready Player One that I think he's smart enough to leave ambiguous there, but really kind of comes home in this, and really in so much of a worse way is that in a lot of ways, these books kind of celebrate, like, the worst of a 
culture that I think has some genuinely really good parts. You know, the yeah. culture yeah. surrounding sci-fi and fantasy and video games and all this stuff. And it really highlights and celebrates just the worst aspects of those. Um, you know, the parts that really aren't accurate anymore and make me feel kind of uncomfortable. Like, I I have kind of friends and relatives who have read Ready Player One and really enjoyed it who don't play a lot of video games. And they think like, oh, well, like, this is what it's like to be someone who plays video games. And I feel bad about that because it's not, it's not accurate. And honestly, the, the characters they're seeing are kind of gross. And they exist, so they feel like, oh, yeah, this is true. But it's... I... Things like that, where it really kind of, and I think both of the books do that. And again, I think that kind of over time, as people have put Ready Player One on more and more of a pedestal, I've kind of felt more and more weird about it. And I think this takes all of the things that I was on the fence about in that book and puts them front and center as just really the really the focus. Yeah. yeah. Armada did not make me proud to be a gamer. Like it just made me Absolutely. feel gross. And like I, yeah, that is not, not something even I. A little. I have never struggled with like, oh, I play games. It means I'm a nerd. Like I've never like really, I've just been like, whatever, fuck it. Like this is fine. Yeah. But this made me just feel, cause it was so self-indulgent. Oh yes. That's the perfect word for it too. It was just, you know, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to pinpoint exactly what it was that bothered me. And that was the best kind of thing I could come up with to describe it is that it's just very self-indulgent saying that these, it, it reminded me of that South Park episode, the World of Warcraft yes. episode where like Cartman and, all of them are down the basement and like see but at least it, that's parody yeah no at least that's well, parody yeah, that's the but difference. the thing is like even when the okay so in the spoiler territory it'll make more sense what the thing i'm thinking about but it was just kind of celebrating the like shittiest aspects again of like gamer culture or whatever and saying like oh we are like the most we are the people who can save the world we are like the most important people here and it's very like there's weird elitism going on and well it's also this like weird gamer fantasy right like this is Ernest Klein coming into this and being like well we're the like we're marginalized and and people make fun of gamers and nerds and like you know we as gamers dream like we have and I mean like I've had this discussion before I've had the discussion with my friends be like you know if if a zombie apocalypse is gonna happen do you think we know better what to do like because we play games and absorb this media and everybody's like well yeah of course that just makes sense right it's good and it's like but like this gamer fantasy of like being equipped for something like this because we play video games yeah and this takes that to just this like crazy extreme and even that i i think that that's not only a great point but that's the kind of thing that actually really frustrates me right because i think that things like this that come in and try and say oh here's the situation that validates all that time you put into video games yeah and where the fantasy is some situation exists that can validate that passion the implicit assumption there is that that's a passion that requires validation, right? right? Without this circumstance, it isn't valid. Exactly. That playing Armada was meaningless until it turned out that that was real, which is, I think, like, the wrong way to go, right? Like, it, I mean, I had something that we kind of try to do with, like, a podcast like this, but to say that, you know, playing a video game isn't something that requires that extra validation. It's something worth doing in and of itself, just like reading a book or watching a movie. Yeah. And, you know, you shouldn't need some situation in which that happens to find some validation from that hobby that you enjoy. And even if, like, you enjoy it just to the extent of it makes you feel good, it, you have fun, It that's, that's valid in and of itself, but that there can be more than that. And that weird implicit assumption of you need a zombie apocalypse to make that valid you need an alien invasion to validate playing these games and they were a waste until then is 
like that's the weird implicit assumption for me and it seems like no one when they do something like that is actually dealing with that it's it seems like a given and i don't think it ought to be i think this book was trying to address something that is a real problem with not only gamers but people in general but i kept thinking back to the um oh god is her name jane mcgonagall Oh, yeah. Reality is broken. Reality's so broken. there is like when you play a lot of games and stuff, yeah, there is a feeling of like, oh, you have this purpose because games are designed so that you have a purpose. You always know what you're trying to do. It makes you're always playing a character who has agency and therefore you feel important and like your choices kind of have an impact on this world. Um, so like games like Mass Effect, Dragon Age, right? Any kind of like really narrative heavy story um, or n- narrative heavy game. Mm you're going to feel important because those games are designed to make you feel important. Then you stop playing them and you realize, oh, like I'm back to my normal life, like going on with like my normal job and or studies or whatever. And gamification tries to fix that feeling of like not, I guess not having these checkpoints that you meet to make you feel like, oh, I am making progress in my, cause you know, games also are designed so that you have these checkpoints where you know you're progressing because it game gives you feedback saying you're doing like, well, keep going. Like you've, Look at all these things you've accomplished on this mission list. And gamification tries to address that by saying, oh, let's try to give you these checkpoints for these mundane actions and stuff. And I feel like this book, and I don't feel like that's necessarily the right solution for that whatever empty feeling gamers might have in their real life. This I do not, I definitely don't feel Armada poses or comes up with like a good solution either, which is basically saying i don't know how to articulate this but like oh you are like the most important or this is like the way god i can't even say because i'm so frustrated right now but you know what i'm trying to say somebody else can articulate it better that to be on a like a military scale of importance yeah and that just they take over for the military completely in this story like the military isn't even a thing i mean this is what's the eda the earth defense alliance right it's like its own secret military branch yeah yeah, I they're like the men in black by... mixed with like the CIA mixed with the Air Force yeah. mixed with NASA kind of. Yeah, um, but they're more important than all those people because they've been like setting up. They've been building these drones. That's the other thing. There's so much in, there's so much interesting stuff you can say about drones because like drones are a really big topic right now. It's it, it's very controversial. Um, I felt this kind of made light. Oh, that. yeah, this like, managed to be an entire book all about drones where he managed to say none of those interesting things. Yeah. Where, it, you're absolutely, there's a whole heap of interesting, thoughtful statements to be made about this, and somehow he managed to go, what, 300 and some pages without even accidentally hitting one. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I would even be willing to forgive that, because the book is so far removed from even something remotely close to that subject matter, but there's just nothing to redeem it. Just, yeah, it doesn't feel like he was nothing. going for something else that was meaningful or so. Yeah, it. Yeah. So I think I think we're all coming down firmly on. I mean, we already said we're, we're pretty firmly on the side that none of us enjoyed this at all. I really, if you have read Ready Player One, I recommend it even less. Than absolutely, if you haven't because it's going to make that book worse for you. It absolutely does. Uh, I do, however, think now is probably the time to move into spoilers because I'm like frothing at the mouth trying to... Yeah, let's get in. Let's just hit the point. I, I'm i going to say I recommend you stay beyond the spoiler break. I can't I can't 
say yeah, stop I, like, now, go read it. Yeah, it, d- like just don't read this book. Keep listening to this podcast. Yeah, go yeah, right yeah. ahead. You're you're not going to ruin anything for yourself. And it's a long enough book that you will have wasted enough time. It's not like a short novella. I feel I feel bad that we spent as much money as we did just buying copies of it yep. for just us. Yep. Like that's I don't know it. Which is not and to say we spent a, movie a lot about it. I yeah, know. I'm sure that got optioned right. Out of, uh, that's yeah, this, this is a uh, this pulled out Jurassic Park got optioned before it was done being written. Oh, I'm sure. So before we get into spoiler territory, we're really excited to introduce for next month, since we'll be coming out in October, um, that we're going to be doing a themed month. We're going to be doing exclusive kind of horror-themed pieces of media all month long. Um, We're going to be starting off by reading At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft for our read segment. Um, Moving on after that, we're going to be watching It Follows and playing the relatively new game Until Dawn um, on... Uh, playstation 4 um so really excited wanted to give everyone a heads up even if you only normally listen to one of these episodes if you're looking for something a bit extra over kind of halloween throughout the course of october um we'd highly recommend checking those out we're going to try to be you know keeping the episodes distinct but still trying to keep the theme together um but i'm really excited to get into at the mountains of madness kind of classic piece of horror literature really i mean lovecraft very famously kind of changed the game when it came to writing scary fiction um i know he gets a bit of a bad rap some of his stuff doesn't age as well as others he was racist as fuck he's a super super racist um but i at the same time at least he's not still alive today like guys like frank miller yeah well and the real trick is at the end of the day it he's you can't even justify it was just like oh yeah it was the time he was racist for then too but it doesn't change that a lot of the writing is still really good and things beyond that. And there's even a weird kind of illumination in some of his just really blatant, awful racial statements of just kind of this fear of the other that he's getting at. Totally misdirected, but really like genuinely (laughs) fascinating. Yeah. So I'm really excited for it. We'd really love it if you'd come back again next month and join us. It's, it really is worth reading. I know a lot of people write off, lovecraft now for reasons like that and i i totally understand but i you're you're missing out on some important cool formative work um so should be really exciting hope to see you next month with that <sighs> let's tear this one a new one guys oh all God. right okay. so i'm let me i there's so many things about this book that make me so angry and the real thing about it is like if you get out of the escapist fantasy of it, if you get out of the referential stuff, there's like the skeleton of an interesting and engaging, fun story. Absolutely. Certainly fun. That, that he like just ma- consistently makes the wrong choice at over every single turn. There were so many opportunities for interesting critique because he could set up, he could have the same plot, basic like set up, yes, right? Yep. And say so many interesting things about, you know, what it means to be a gamer or what it means to maybe feel a lack of importance because of that and maybe present a real kind of solution for it instead of just completely indulging in this fantasy that is so unlikely that it's even like and we read a lot of unlikely scenarios, right? And as long as the characters behave believably and the world behaves according to kind of the right, rules the, that we know. The yeah, you thing need to... might be unbelievable, but if everything that happens around the thing 
then it's fine. It's, like yeah. makes sense. Then then we're in a good place. And it needs it. The other thing is, it needs to be unbelievable, but operate by some set of consistent rules. Yeah. I you know there's a film I saw recently that where I was really frustrated by that. Right. There was an unbelievable thing that I was happy to embrace, but then it broke its own rules, and that's where it lost mm-hmm. me. Um, I think it, this does that all the time. Yeah. Where it's simple. I mean, it's even simple things where. At one point in the book, a character will say, this is how this works. And then 200 pages later, that's just not the case anymore. <laughs> and not for any narrative reason. It's not that something's changed. It's just that it seems like out of convenience, someone needed to do that. So they just did. We rolled with it. I mean, there's the whole premise of like, oh, we've been like training everyone and you all are the best of the best. So you're going to be piloting drones. But then towards the end of the book, they point out like, oh, yeah. Everyone with the game is actually piloting a drone. And like, when did that happen? I thought the whole point, like, you're just giving this to yeah. every just random person who goes to buy a copy of the game. They can get access to a drone with, like, laser guns on it. And where is the military? Like, where's yeah, the legitimate the- military? And this is, okay, so this book was particularly interesting for me because um, in grad school, I wrote a paper for a class called Engineering Bodies of War, which is about ethics and engineering for the military. Um, I wrote a paper about the military's kind of... Um, the military's appropriation of video game technology for making military training simulators. Absolutely. So there's such a thing like I the call for fire and America's um, army. Yeah. America's army was a recruiting tool and they mentioned it briefly in the book, yeah. but yeah. there's definitely video game technology is being used to train soldiers in the military and also to train like, you know, Black Hawk pilots. I like it's it raises so many ethical questions about should, should this should warfare be framed as being fun at all like should that even be a thing like ethically that is just very questionable but at the same time like if that gets people more interested in training for the military like is that a tool they just should use it's just there's so many questions it brings up and this book should have brought up and it just it acted like it wasn't a problem there isn't a single goddamn ethics question in the entire book oh not even close it's just not not even and you know what zach comes so close there are so many times when you get his inner monologue and he he's like seems like he's question like he does question what's going on around him, but it happens momentarily and he immediately moves on into whatever's like whatever's actually happening and there's no rumination. There's no bucking what's going on. There's no actual response. It's like he even it's literally he has the question on the tip of his tongue as an author and just leaves it. And yeah, and people always people on Goodreads, at least, when I was looking at reviews, people were always like, oh, wait, this exists already as Ender's Game and The Last Starfighter and, like, X, Y, and Z. The thing is, Ender's Game at least brought up a lot of these ethical questions. Yeah. Oh, Ender's Game was the, all Ender's about Ender's Game was literally as much just as, that. Yeah, as much yeah. as I hate Orson Scott Card as a person, that book addressed the things that this book didn't even touch on. Yeah. I mean, that, that book existed to address those things. This book existed not to. And just for a second, God, what a good book. It There's a great article about just, like, this, this, we're going to cut this. Um, guy who wrote this whole article was like, why he was so frustrated by Orson Scott Card's comments. And it was because he's like, yeah, when I read Ender's Game, it was like, oh, there's this whole like accepting thing. And it turned out the guy was just a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was my fault. But also, can we talk about the, the combat scenes, the action scenes? Like, no one... There is a frustration that I know a lot of gamers feel when they're trying to describe something really cool that happened to them in a game or something really cool that they pulled off. Yeah. But when they try to describe it in words to someone who wasn't there or like doesn't play the game at all, it just it sounds boring as hell. Yeah. Like no one wants to hear about your StarCraft 
I don't if you're not a StarCraft player, it's really boring to hear you talk about StarCraft and this kind of a lot yeah. of the action scenes. The number here. of times I've heard like Zergling Russian, it just doesn't mean anything to me. It's like just yeah, it doesn't work. It's just like and I and you can obviously there are many books that where military combat is described and it's really like interesting, it's riveting. This I just kind of my eyes glazed over. I wanted it to be over. I couldn't really tell what was happening a lot of the time. It was just kind of chaotic. And it didn't really, it just, it didn't strike me as being that, like, I was not enthralled by the action. And this is a book that really should have relied heavily on the action to carry its weight. Yeah, it never felt engaging. Yeah, I agree. And it, then, oh, sorry. No, no. I was going to say, and then there's the love interest who is described as basically oh. being, so I hate it when it's paleness so is described as being like, oh, she's beautiful because she's pale. She, she's literally described as having alabaster skin. And like just being the any every gamer guy's like wet dream, right? Or according she's to Ernest Cline, just straight up a manic pixie dream girl, and it's and she's so impressed by his like mad gaming skills, and like it, it their meet cute is the most obnoxious meet cute. Oh my god, it's so red. it's so bad. It hurt my like I I had a headache when I finished reading that. It was so bad. It just. Like I just wanted, I wanted the the glaive fighters or whatever to come and kill them all, just because it was just so. I really just, you know what? Okay, here's one of the things about this book that I think, like, he could have used this book to buck like weird, dumb narrative trends in this kind of stuff. Like that moment, they could have sat down together. She could have just kind of hated him. Yeah. And then they could have gotten like put together. And then maybe that developed into something, or maybe it didn't. Maybe she just hated him. Yeah. Maybe she represents like a rational human being who doesn't glorify video games but happens to enjoy playing them. Yeah. And, and hates he- guys like Zach. Yeah. Like us. <laughs> <laughs> there was nobody who was rational. Even nobody. Like the, even the generals, no. the people at the top of the top, right? Like, both like the big spoiler, which was Zach's dad wasn't actually dead. He was actually taken right. his like and now he's a general and he's the best player of the game and all this stuff it was very i the thing that i used to sum up my feelings toward this which zach's dad being live is probably the thing about this book that i hate more than anything else that happens in the entire story imagine star wars okay take the story of star wars but darth vader isn't luke's dad Luke's dad never died in the Clone Wars, but went into hiding and is currently leading the rebellion. Like that's what this is. Yeah. How much does that suck? And then they versus the alternative. And on top of that, you spend the entire, you spend all of a New Hope and that middle hope of Empire. Sorry, that middle part middle of Empire. Trump, yeah. Telling the audience over and over again. How important it is that they understand that Luke's dad was dead. Yeah. There's nothing that makes it clear that a character is still alive or will appear again, like telling you over and over that they were dead. Yep. Yeah. Marley was dead. Of this, there can be no doubt or there can be no wonder from the events that are yet to come. That's the whole point of A Christmas Carol. And as soon as you hear that, you know that Marley comes back. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> That's the entire first half of this book. Every third line is just to remind you that Zack's dad is dead, and that's important. <laughs> and, like, there are so many ways that could have been done better. His dad could have been alive, but 
like somehow working for the aliens, which is literally just Star Wars. His dad could have been killed by the EDA because he was too close, but he wasn't recruitable for some reason, which would create this resentment and a, and a, and a distancing and caused him to like, could have been the kind of thing that caused him to question the EDA and like entered the, into those thought spaces that we thought would be worth exploring here. None of it. Just, just nothing. It was just this stupid fucking feel good, you know, Ugh. Except for the fact that as soon as it's revealed that he's alive, you know, which you knew from the beginning, you die. then knew he <laughs> no. was going to yes, die in the end. Yeah, and he died. He almost dies once, and then he and then you know he's going to die again though because they were talking about oh maybe these and we talk about lame aliens. Oh God, yes. Oh my God. God. Oh, I can't. Oh, oh my God. This reminds me a little bit. I haven't seen it, but I kept thinking back to the trailer of Pixels. Oh, this, this, this and pixels are basically, this is, is, pixels is the film option of this novel. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I, I, God, I haven't seen pixels and I kind of wanted to so that I could just be like, I, I'm a, I, I can't bring myself to that. I could justify money. my hatred of pixels by having actually seen the movie. I can't actually, I can't bring you don't myself, spend money I, on I that. can't bring yeah. myself to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's one of the things I love about my movie pass. I don't, I don't spend money on what I see directly. I, I, my flat fee a month covers it pretty much no matter what. I still Movie wouldn't pass. see pixels. I still wouldn't do it. And this reading this book felt like subjecting myself to pixels but every minute. For much longer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then there's just so... Okay, with Zach Lightman as a character, there's so many problems. Like he, Okay, so his big character flaw that is pounded in over and over again to our heads is that he has anger management issues. Like, he... He's known as Zack Attack. That's his like school nickname because he fights Which with kids. Would never happen. No. Yeah. That would never be like the name that kids at a school would give a kid like Zack. That's like something his friends might call him after something like that happened, and everybody else in the school would be like, "Yo, do you remember that crazy kid Zack?" Like I. But don't worry. At no point do you need to feel that there's some kind of conflict that he like hurts people or anything like that. He only fights this one guy who's a bully. So you don't. So at, it's okay. At, yeah. So you, as the reader, at no point have any kind of question that maybe Zach like doesn't know right from wrong. He's this like perfectly moral dude. Yeah. Or even if he was school, this perfectly yeah. moral dude who would fly off the handle sometimes and overreact to a situation or have yeah. actual anger management problems. But no. his only anger management problem was not being able to control how angry he got about some person doing bad stuff. It's like to like a helpless kid. Yeah. It's yeah. like shit. I did. I did stuff like that in high school. Like that's not unrealistic yeah that's just how like like good people are if you have like anything close to sort of like anger problems like i don't know it's like yeah and then that kind of translates into his also his problem with obeying authority which is the thing that saves everyone at the end of the book right it's like oh he doesn't listen to admiral advance he listens to his dad and they have this kind of like which is still theory. listening to authority yeah just... which is still yeah it's just, but he's like choosing what i don't know and and he gets like what ha- what happens like when he, they go to the first base and he disobeys a direct order and because of that they lose in like 500 drones like yeah, brand they lose new a drones that cost millions of, of dollars yeah. and he still gets he's so talented at this game he's too important so he just, he escapes discipline because he's such a great you know he's so good at this game they need him cuz he's so Well special. I think I mean in that in that one case I think the actual plot point is that he escapes discipline because of who his father is Yeah not that that makes it any better 
but that at least if like like I think Vance does straight out say it's like it, we don't it doesn't matter how good you are like shit like that means you would be out of here but you get a pass. He never suffers the consequences of any of his actions in this Ever. book. Not like even they a set it up like okay, the anger thing he's going to have to overcome that but or something. Nope. Instead, he uses it and that's like he becomes the he's like the first person the aliens make direct real contact with after the war starts because he's the one who was kind of like there with his dad when his dad sacrifices his life um and they kind of sabotage their admiral's mission with the icebreaker. What was the icebreaker even? I wasn't. It was even. supposed kind of to nuke. cut through. Yeah, it was a. It was a nuke, basically. Yeah. It was a giant nuke on this ship with a bunch of lasers on it, and the lasers are supposed to cut through the ice of whatever what Europa. moon Europa, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, of Europa, and then deliver the nuke under the surface ice, and then like blow up Europa, where the aliens where, are, where the aliens are from, for context. The ending was just so... I mean, as bad as the book was, the ending was the worst. Just so bad. I just... Like, it was... Because what is it? Okay, a big alien that's actually a robot. They say it's like a sentient machine. It's, it's, yeah, it's like an AI. It's this, They describe it as being this, like a 20-sided object. So basically, it's a D20 that comes well, out describe, of... I thought it yeah. was spherical. And the, the other sides. thing was D20. The, oh. Like the... the, the like yeah, like they're things. Yeah, we're like D twenties. It doesn't matter. Something yeah, came out of Europa matter. and it was shaped like a D twenty. It's it's roughly a ball. Yeah, and it says like, oh, this was all a test for humanity to see, to see whether you you're like... worthy of joining us. Because not like, oh, did you solve your like horrible poverty issues? Like, did you deal with hunger? These things, and even Zach at the beginning of the books has a thing about, oh, I had thought about like how badly we were hurting our planet and stuff, but now none of that seems to matter in the face of this alien attack. And it's just, uh, it just, it says all the wrong things. It, it just does, it, it just nothing about, there's no, there, there are no redeeming qualities in this book. There's not one. And I'll even say, we talked about this like, I don't know, we talked about this like a little bit before, but on top of all of that, like it, the plot doesn't make sense. The characters are awful. It, there's like, oh, there's nothing else to it. But on top of all of that, just the actual writing itself is just hard to read in the worst way. It, there's I, so much repetition for one. Oh, yeah. Just to make sure that you understand the complicated nuances of the plot, he tells you over and over and over again. But on top of that, I don't know. Like, I, this was one thing that, like, I, pulled out just because it it sums up the entire book in two sentences not actually two sentences a sentence and a fragment um because that's how he writes yes on page 249 uh zach's dad says to him quote i'm a gamer zach like you end quote and i feel like this entire book is just ernest klein trying so desperately to say that over and over and over again. But just the amazing slash awful thing about it is all of this is just it. He also seems to be under the impression that the world hasn't changed since he was like 18. And like it one of like as weird as it sounds, one of the biggest things I find hard to believe about this book is that someone who plays what is the rough equivalent of Call of Duty is socially shunned. Because he plays Call of Duty. Like, that that's that that's a thing that happens in high schools right now. 
Like, that's a hard thing for me to get over. Like, I feel like this is set in the 80s. And that's the thing. Somebody who plays a game like Armada now would be shunned. But in this fantasy world that this guy's created, Armada isn't just Call of Duty. It's like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft combined. Yeah, all it's like the single most popular thing ever where people who, d- who never even played games before are starting to play Armada because it's so cool and fun and popular and amazing and, and perfect. And has all these celebrities like Morgan Freeman does the voiceover. And- yeah. Oh, yeah. He just like cherry picks a bunch of current celebrities. How many oh. like, oh, my God. And at the end, the council was like Stephen Hawking and Michio Kaku and Neil deGrasse Tyson and then two SETI people. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about how awful it is? I mean, this is... I, there's a lot of things I don't like about this book, but I think this is actively gross, is how he just, like, cherry picks and, like, co-opts actual, intelligent, admirable people yep. and puts them as characters into this book, I imagine, without getting in touch with them. No. Carl Sagan is the I worst of so it. Oh, my God. That, I was so I was actively mad. angry. And it's, like... He's, he, like, the head of this whole operation and this. Yeah, and I'm like, Carl Sagan would not deal with this bullshit. Yeah, and on top of that... All right, to pull another thing, just to the writing... Have you noticed that these people who have actual voices that he could, like, listen to and try and mimic? Like, it's one thing that every character sounds the same. Every single one. Some of them with borderline offensive accents. But other than that, like, they sound basically the same. Right. Even Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan, who have actual real-world speech patterns that he could go and listen to and try to emulate, are written just like yeah, like the, like the, the 17 video, year old the, kids. The videos that Carl Sagan speaks over could be written, you know, remotely close to Cosmos. Yeah, but and, they're not. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, just there's so much to pull from nothing. None. Not I even feel like never. That's one of the main reasons why this book reads to me like fan fiction. Oh. It's this co- book is so many, legitimized yeah. fan fiction. Because, like, what, what happens in a lot, there's like a whole genre of fanfic where. It'll be like, what if this video game were real? Or like, what if you, the player, as yourself, got somehow magically transported into this video game and what would happen? Some of those are better than this book. Yeah, some of those. I've read a Zelda one that was very good. <laughs> and um, and this, I feel like in, in screenwriting, a lot of times you talk about like, oh, what's the what if of this story, right? And I feel like the what if of Armada is what if like you as a gamer really were as important as you felt while you're playing this game. And I don't know. There's so many other ways to find a purpose in life. <laughs> and even, but again, even that is a, like a baseline for a, a story is not bad. Yeah. It's just yeah. that it's gone about it's in just a completely everything wrong about way it here. Is executed. Yeah. Just wrong. Just bad and wrong. And yeah. You know what? Just, uh, I was gonna, I had like a go. Oh yeah. Instead of reading this book, I really just recommend you grab our last episode <laughs> and go read The Martian. And if you haven't read The Martian, or if you have already read The Martian because of that episode, either before or after, read it again instead of reading this book. Read yeah. anything instead of this book. I mean, read, read literally fiction anything instead of this, of this book. book. Oh my God. Read, I don't like, ugh, God, I just don't, I, I don't know whether I was in a bad mood. No, I think the book put me in a bad mood. I was going to say, Because I felt like, yeah. part of me wondered at one point, have I just been in a bad mood this like past week and that's why I'm hating this so much? But I think it was the book that put me in a bad mood. And if you want to read an interesting like nonfiction book on military simulators and video games, uh, there's a book called Warplay by Corey Reed, I want to say. Um, and it's pretty short and it kind of goes through the history of video games and the military. 
uh, including like America's Army and stuff like that. Again, things that were only barely brushed upon in this. Uh, I just feel like there's so many other books that are kind of like this, that touch on the same subjects, that do so much more. And the, yet this book, I don't know, this book could have had so much more cut out of it and maybe it would be a little bit more bearable then. But there, so much repetition is in there. Like Zach always saying, oh my God, I can't believe this is really happening. I can't believe the video game is really real. Like we know after the first 10 times he says it. Yeah. Yeah, this is really happening. We believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually it even like doubling down in the recommendation to go back and read The Martian. I think one thing that like I remember it, to someone, maybe if you're only listening to these and you haven't read either of these books and you've just been listening and, you know, it, some of the things that we actually praised The Martian for um, are things that we're kind of critiquing this for you, this kind of inability to deal with bigger ideas, that kind of stuff. But it, I think like a really important thing to stress is that this feels like it's trying to and failing, but on top of that, really just that there's a certain intelligence that goes, like that you just feel coming out of The Martian when you read it. Um at no point in The Martian does Andy Weir tell you how smart he is. He just has Watney do smart things. There's so many times in this book where Ernest Cline actually has a character that tell you, the reader, that Ernest Cline is smart. It And nothing makes you sound stupider than telling me how smart you are. It's... it's there's the point where they talk about, like, the... The Sobrakai, the name of the aliens. There's a character who steps in and is like, oh, yeah, you know, they're not really, like, they're not real. We made them up. The name is a play on, like, Sobrakai. And it's just like, it's, uh, Klein has literally taken a second to tell you, the reader, that he had a clever idea for the name of his aliens. Yeah. It, there's a, it's this really god-awful mix of being not very good and patting itself on the back for how good he thinks he is it i don't know i don't usually take shots at authors because i think there's a big difference like the author and their work but so often this doesn't feel like a separate voice this feels like ernest klein's voice like telling me that he thinks he's really clever and that's a really rough moment i think one thing we can also tell from this book is that ernest klein would be a really bad game designer because armada (laughs) and terra firma don't sound like interesting games that i would want to play I agree. They just, they nope. sound kind of... It's just a flight simulator. Yeah. It's just the most generic flight simulator. With like a vague sci-fi, like a very like overused sci-fi theme. Yeah. There's just nothing kind of, there's no like unique twist in the game that makes it seem like I don't know why so many people would be playing this game. I just don't understand. I don't, if you were, I would, I love the idea, the basic idea of what if this one video game was real in some way, not presented like this. I feel like th- that one very basic premise could be used in a very interesting way. And it's just, oh, this, this just ruins it for me. This ruins that whole genre of it for me. Yep. No more. It's just, whatever you do, don't, just don't read this. Go outside. Go. Go play go, with a dog. Go, go, you know what? Go play games. Because it's it's just so much better. Everything is so much better than this. Yeah, it just makes me really want to find a book that like a meta game related book that's really good. That's that is other than Ender's Game, right? Like other like something new, something recent. Yeah, let's let's try to end this on a positive note. Can you think of any? Like, what are some good books about video games? I mean, obviously, barring things like game studies novels, we can 
talk about the grasshopper and Bernard suits all day. But sure. That's I, it. Yeah. I heard, I haven't, I have the audio book and I haven't listened to it yet. And I don't know who the author is off the top of my head, but there's a book called NPCs, which is about like the NPCs having to become the main characters of a game because the players like disappear or something like that. And it sound it got good reviews. So I will try to tackle that soon and hopefully not feel as shitty as I do right now. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I feel like I have read something like that. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you get certain things. I mean, uh, Snow Crash by yeah. Stevenson is arguably a game that's less of a game, more just like kind of a second life sort of virtual world interaction. I mean, certainly plenty of things like that where it's more of a setting. If anyone I mean, has, can think of a good recommendation, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I, this isn't inherently gamey, but I mean, even like Neuromancer. Sure. Right? Yeah, that like, one I think is a little bit further away, but yeah, yeah certainly it's, a good it's one. more like... This is me thinking of game in the sense of like a virtual reality, which is how I think most of these books would engage with this kind of content. And that's like, yeah, you put yourself in the virtuality and it's very, but it's cyberpunk. It's not very, but yeah, that's, that's how far removed we have to get from it for me to come up with a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Or a good rec. So and the read any of those books. Read anything that isn't yeah. this. I mean, Stevenson deals a lot with virtual worlds. That might he be. He does. Yeah. yeah. The Codex by Lev Grossman. I it, read never read it. It is, it is. I will say it is my least favorite Lev Grossman book. I highly recommend The Magician's books. He's a very good author, very smart guy. Yeah, it's. I think it's the weakest of his books, but it at least starts to get into some of this. Yeah, well, so I guess, I don't know, I guess it seems like kind of as, at least as far as we can think of, we're still kind of waiting for that first really good... All right, I'm like going to start writing when I get home, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like meta video game fiction, but... Armada 2, Electric Boogaloo. Absolutely. I'll get it done. I it'll feel be, like it could be, be there. Great. Also, I felt another little thing. I felt like his attempt at diversity, like at least he did put like one Chinese guy, or no, like one Chinese guy, one Japanese guy, one African-American girl, but they were kind of just like, they're there. They're not like different from anybody else. Yeah, kind of a downer. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing. Sometimes it can be fun to like tear something apart, but in this situation, almost not really anymore. Yeah, because I had such high hopes. I thought... I, I liked Ready Player One. I was expecting to come into this and enjoy it. And I was expecting it to be this like fun thing where we'd be like, look, gamer culture isn't shitty and it's just kind of cool and fun. And nope. I really hope people don't read this and think, oh, so this is what all gamers really want to happen. They just want there to be a huge military conflict so that they can feel like they actually have skills that can be used. Not that gaming skills at all equate to absolutely being nope. able to pilot a real drone. This this book is a perfect perfect representation of the vocal minority of gamer culture that that is what people end up perceiving from outside this culture and this is just going to keep perpetuating it. Absolutely, which makes me so sad. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to take if you're going to take one thing away from this podcast beyond that you shouldn't buy this book when you see it recommended like at a bookstore. It And if you see it recommended at a bookstore, like yell at that staff. Don't, I, don't let don't let that shit happen. I saw it recommended by a few small bookstores that I actually like a lot, and I think that I think that it was recommended based on the author without someone having read it because I noticed one of them took it down a bit later. I think that they <laughs> please uh, tell me one of those places wasn't St. Mark's Bookshop. No, okay, I, they, I didn't I, see it at St. Mark's. They know better than that. <laughs> but <laughs> I have such faith in them. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, if you're gonna take one thing away from this and you you only listen to our our books podcast, please please let it be that this is not representative of people who actually play video games i i don't i don't like the term gamer i think it's misrepresentative this is all of the reasons why i feel that way 
and just wrapped up into one. If you take one thing away from this and you've read this book, please let it be that this is not, this is not us. This is not how we feel or think. Yeah. We do not want this to happen. We do not want this book to exist. Yeah. We don't feel validated by this book. We don't enjoy this book. This is it not. It makes us feel gross. Yeah. All right. I think that's, yeah. I think that's a, that's pretty, pretty solid ending. Yeah. How do you guys this, feel about this book? <laughs> this book, book makes us feel gross. Don't read it. Read anything else for the love of God. We read it so you don't have to. God, yeah. All right. So thank you all so much for listening. Please come back next month. We'll be reading at the Mountains of Madness. If you're interested in any of our other spooky content for, for October, that'll be It Follows and Until Dawn. Um, until then, thank you so much for listening. 